you are listening to the Flash F1 podcast with Gil and Mark. Welcome to a very special edition of the Flash F1 Formula One podcast. A couple of days ago, Gil and I had the opportunity to sit down with Mark Daly, the principal host of the incredibly popular Scuderia F1 podcast, and Tim Haraney, the host of the TSN Racing Pod podcast, as well as the on-air personality for all things motorsports and Formula One on the Canadian TSN network. For those of you that are listening outside of Canada, TSN is, for all intents and purposes, Canada's ESPN equivalent. In fact, the two have some corporate tie-ups. But we were able to sit down and have a really great discussion about the current state of Formula One. We reflected back on the 2019 season. We looked ahead to 2020. We talked about the legacy of many of the current drivers, including Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel. And we talked about what young drivers might might pose the greatest risk to Lewis Hamilton achieving a seventh and or eighth driver's championship. All in all, it was a tremendous discussion. It was great because as a podcast host and a lifelong fan, Mark Daly was able to bring immense knowledge and statistical knowledge about the sport. Uh, Tim, with his great racing heritage, having competed at some of the highest levels of racing, was able to talk about the sport from a very different perspective than Gil, myself, or even Mark could speak to it. So it was really great to sit down, have a great conversation. It was relaxed. It was fun. It was conversational. Because the conversation ran so long, we're actually going to break it up into two special edition podcasts. So you're going to have this edition, and then a week from now, you're going to have the second half of that conversation. That said, I think you're all going to love it. It was a great conversation. And with that, I'm going to pass it off to uh, Mark Daly and myself and Gil and Tim so you can enjoy. Peace. Hello and welcome uh, to a very special Formula One edition here. This is not the, the, the regular show that you guys are listening to. Some people might recognize my voice, some people won't. So let's start off by introducing everybody in the room here. I'm going to start with you two guys here because you guys came as... I wouldn't say a package, but close enough. <laughs> a, a dynamic duo. Dynamic duo. I think that's a pretty fair... Uh pretty fair assessment yeah i'm i'm mark from the flash f1 canadian podcast with my co-host today and i'm gil from also flash f1 and uh i'm happy to be here incredible awesome. I, i'm surprised we're here we had a bit of an unexpected blanket of snow the last couple of days and, <laughs> and not to give away your location but we had to hike through some snow to get here but it was worth it yeah, up in deepest darkest uh, coquitlam the, yep. the uncouth yep. wilderness of, uh, of coquitlam as Absolutely. they say and of course, uh, we got one more gentleman here across from me. Uh, yeah, my name's Tim Haraney. So I used to be a former professional uh, race car driver, raced in uh, Champ Car Atlantics, which is now Indy Lights, tested for Champ Car, which is now IndyCar, 
I was a part of the Renault driver development program in 2003-04. Uh, raced for Porsche, FIA GT Championship. Raced in 24 hours of, the, of Daytona. A uh, whole bunch of racing for sure, and then transitioned into the broadcasting uh, network. So now I work for TSN. For those of you who don't know what TSN is, so that's the uh, ESPN, uh, ESPN affiliate here in Canada, and they are the rights holders for Formula One, and my job is the F1 racing analyst for all of Canada. So I get to break some news every once in a while, which is kind of nice, but uh, having a close relationship with uh, our Canadian drivers and also with quite a few people within the F1 paddock. It's uh, led me to this job. I also have a podcast on tsn.ca slash auto dash racing. It's called uh, the racing pod. So. Cool. And uh, I'm last and certainly least. Uh, my name is Mark Daly. I'm the host of the Scuderia F1 podcast. And it was weird because like we were talking just now, what, what are the odds of having two Canadian F1 podcasts in the same town you know it's same so city i mean we're all you know three of us here all in kind of coquitlam so it's a, a we, little bit odd we but, knew uh, we knew about the racing pod <laughs> but we yeah. thought that maybe we were doing canadian motorsports fans a favor by creating a canadian f1 podcast and then a mutual friend of ours yeah, mark, yeah, victor actually yeah. had reached out at one point and said hey my my friend mark also in coquitlam does a formula one podcast <laughs> i was like come on because <laughs> i knew your podcast but i had no idea it was canadian let yeah. alone based in coquitlam just kilometers from my house i know that's funny victor's a really cool guy by yep. the way that's Absolutely. awesome all right. Well, let's uh, do what uh, we, we came here do, uh, to do tonight. And uh, again, it's very fitting because less than a mile away from where we're sitting in the studio right now is the the ghost of the old Westwood uh, Motorsport uh, Park for, for people that uh, know a little bit about Canadian uh, motorsport uh, history. Sterling Moss was the, uh, the the course ambassador. There's a really cool video on YouTube if you can find it. It's way back from a film in the late 60s or something like that. And it's, a, it's, a, it's about a two or three minute video. And you see Sterling going around the course you know with with like a suit and a tie on and everything like he's barely even breaking a sweat and you know you got the really groovy 60s music so that's uh, pretty awesome anyway so we, we have a lot a uh, lot of ground to, to cover tonight uh, we are of course in between two formula one world championships 2019 is just behind us 2020 around the corner we got winter testing coming up in about well, less than four weeks from now so slowly but surely we're we're getting back to the the exciting part of the year. So, why don't we uh, go back and just, let's? Twenty nineteen, I found to be a fascinating year in Formula One on on many levels. So, I think we'd be a little bit remiss if we didn't backtrack a little bit and and talk about uh, twenty nineteen before we go into what we're expecting this year and what uh, how the twenty twenty World Championship uh, might uh, shape up. So, Tim, what were your thoughts and uh, your your judgment on the twenty nineteen World Championship? Well, it started off really boring. I mean, let's not you know, sugarcoat it. It was bad. It was a bad start yeah. to the season. But as things started to uh, gain some steam and pick up, we we got to witness, I think, one of the teasers, I would say, heading into what 2020 could look like. Because for the first, I would say, six to seven races, it was all Mercedes, obviously. That's where Lewis Hamilton was able to open up his lead in the championship. And that's basically where he won the driver's title in all honesty. Mm -hmm. like he didn't really win it towards the end because Ferrari came on strong. Red Bull started to get their act together. And I really think that heading into 2020, I think that the last six races of the 2019 season is what 2020 is going to look like. Well, that's what I'm really hoping for because uh, you made a good point there. And for me, when we went through that first seven, eight races of the year, it wasn't so much is Lewis Hamilton going to win the the world championship in 2019, but when it was just a, it was yeah, a question of absolutely. time. 
And I thought it was uh, it, it was really disappointing because Ferrari really teased us because they came out winter testing last year, mm. a second to second half laugh, or faster than everyone else. It took uh, uh, Mercedes a little bit of time to get the car dialed in last year. Red Bull, they struggled a little bit in testing. Uh, Max didn't really get a lot of time because I think Gasly smashed Gasly up one of the cars. Yeah, and they, they didn't have enough spare parts. So I think it really gave us a bit of a false indication. But uh, Mark, you're looking very thoughtful there. What, no, <laughs> no I, I'm, I, just, I'm just processing. Yeah. But I, I, I agree. And, it, and it's funny because I, I recall last season and I recall after eight races. And, and again, I tend to be a bit of a Lewis Hamilton boot. But after eight races, I'd actually recorded a monologue that was, this is just another one of those years. It's going to be another Mercedes dominant performance from the beginning to the end. It's going to be a question of not if, but when Hamilton wins the Mm -hmm. title. I didn't know that there was going to be anything else to root for. But we had that that run of races in the middle of the season, maybe starting with Austria and and Hungary and Belgium and Germany and Mm -hmm. Britain, where we had this run of five or six great races. And it changed the entire narrative and dynamic Mm -hmm. of the season. So. I, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting season. Um, I, I don't know if it was a, a classic, although there was perhaps some classic races. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought things like, and, we, and Gil and I were talking about this earlier today as well. I thought even the storyline and the narrative associated with Honda really regrouping and becoming a force with Red Bull was an interesting story because it builds a more compelling narrative mm-hmm. going into 2020. But yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting season, but it started so poor and I was getting so frustrated by the <laughs> second month of the season that it was just going to be more of what we'd seen in 1718. And that wasn't necessarily the case. Yeah. Well, going back to uh, you know many, many moons ago, but uh, going through those first 70 uh, races of the year, I started having flashbacks of when I was a kid. I was thinking, was it 88, 89 when McLaren with Prost and Senna yeah, won every run, single race? Yeah, run away yep. with it, the two of them. Yeah. It kind of reminded yep. me of uh, also like the Mercedes era of like... Rosberg and Hamilton, like 14, 15, <laughs> 16. Yeah. I thought we were yeah. in for another sort of bot-ass Hamilton. But yeah, Valtteri just couldn't really muster anything up to kind of compete against Lewis. And obviously, we're going to talk about that later on the show. But yep. yeah, I just I think once Ferrari really started to figure out the front of the car and questionable tactics maybe with the engine some of the things i've heard (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean like it's just uh that's racing it's formula one right but at the end of the day i thought that you know once ferrari really started to get the downforce levels figured out on on the car you know we really started to see that team come to life well the ferrari was a real interesting uh story you know that the the uh that gray area that they really pushed it with the the engine, uh, you know, yeah. what, what was legal and what it, what, what wasn't. But it's funny because, you know, you have Max who always comes out and, and Max is, you know, being Dutch myself. I understand like the, 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 the mindset, but I just love how he just, you know, it, it's just black and white. No, they're, they're, they're cheaters. He just yeah. came out yeah. and said that they were <laughs> yeah. cheaters. But, you know, you have uh, Charles saying, oh, he's not on the team. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You have uh, Seb saying that, well, he's just not mature or professional. Yeah. And you have uh, Bonato saying, well, no, we're, you know, if, if we were doing something illegal, we would have been caught by now. So, but it was interesting that once all that extra scrutiny came in, yeah. some of that yeah. straight line performance we saw at yeah. Spa and at yeah. Monza especially, it all of a sudden, it wasn't quite as uh, apparent. But uh, Gil, I see that uh, you're ready to, to, to weigh in here. No, no, not me. I was uh, just... <laughs> Want to, to express like per, for me personally the the start of the the 2019 season, there was a lot of hype around Leclerc, Ferrari. We you know we talk about Ferrari's team orders. It's a mm-hmm. new, you know everything's new around that team for that season for 2019. Uh, Binotto is a team principal. You've got the the starting relationship between Vettel and Leclerc. All the talk about Leclerc being the the number one driver, and you've got 
Mercedes, you've got Bottas and Hamilton. They've got one and two, one and two for however many races. So that excited me for the beginning of the race. And then I think it petered out after mid-season break or after the races that Mark was just talking about. So, mm-hmm. so Tim, I, I don't think it's yeah. uh, any... Um, stretch of the imagination to say that uh, Charles Leclerc is the real deal. Okay. But as, as a racing driver yourself, what is it that makes Charles special? Because we saw him, I mean, first year in Ferrari, I mean, he was amazing. I mean, he should have won in Bahrain, but go back to 2018, driving that Sauber C37, obviously wasn't one of the greatest cars on the grid that year. But mm-hmm. but looking at it as the, the from the point of view as a racing driver, what is it that makes Charles Good. What, Ad- what makes Charles Charles? Yeah, no, that's a great question. A- adaptation being one of them. And I would say one lap consistency with not many mistakes. I mean, every racing driver in a qualifying lap is going to make a mistake. There's usually there's usually no point at which you don't make a mistake in a qualifying lap, in all honesty. I mean, sometimes you'll get the perfect lap, but those are few and far between. I also would go back and take a look at the Formula 2. Now, a lot of people don't really understand. Uh, well, at the time, I guess it was GP2. But a lot of people don't really understand just how difficult those cars are uh, to drive. And the uh, ever-changing Pirelli tires that those young drivers have to deal with. Their their mentality when they come into Formula 2 is to be as aggressive as possible. You know, Push the car to its limits. The problem is with the F2 tire is, is that... You can't treat it like that. You can't treat it like a normal race tire. You have to really finesse. You have to baby it. And it goes against everything as a racing driver that you're taught. You're taught to always be aggressive and you're taught to always push. With the F2 tire, you don't really, you can't really do that. There are times that you can, but there are a lot of times where you just cannot and you just need to kind of hang in and kind of just let uh, let the race kind of develop the way it's going to and then attack with whatever tire you have left. Now, when you get the understanding of how that tire works and how the the deg works on the tire, you take that information with you and you transfer it into Formula One. You see a lot of these young drivers who are coming up, like Lando Norris. Uh, people will say whatever they want about Pierre Gasly, but Gasly is he's an awesome driver. Um, Alex Albon, he's the real deal. Uh, and you kind of take a look at how quickly they've been able to get up to speed in an F1 car in their age. So take into account like what Norris was what, 19 this year, right? When I was 19, I was still in like formula Renault. You know, it it just, there's a huge difference in the way these guys are training nowadays and the way they're learning as for Charles Leclerc, just having that knowledge and how the tire actually works, experiencing that and then taking that knowledge into Formula One, I really think that's how he was able to do so well in those Sauber days, mm-hmm. for sure. The other thing that uh, really strikes me about Charles is that despite all the hype, yeah. and uh, he, he still seems to be an incredibly grounded, yeah. very he seems like a yeah, very a relatable, yeah. like very normal yeah. guy. And Absolutely. Yeah. You, you, I, I mean, not to say that uh, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, come across as really swollen egos, but to me, I mean, some do, some yeah. don't. But but, I mean, Charles, I find, is a, a very relatable uh, person. So, Mark, I'm going to throw it over to you now. Going into 2020s, Charles Leclerc, the undisputed number one driver at Ferrari. Ooh. Coming in strong. <laughs> eh? You didn't even, you didn't even <laughs> wait. You came in right over the top with that one. I was hoping I wasn't going to get that. So I have, I have feelings on that. And I, I would like to say, 
It's tough because on the one hand, I, I think on paper he is simply because he has a contract beyond this year and Sebastian Vettel doesn't have a contract beyond this year. And I don't even know if there's been negotiations between Vettel's camp and Ferrari. It's been very silent. A hundred percent. It's been very, very, very quiet. And especially when you consider Vettel's performance last year, you know, he finished second in the championship in 17. He finished second in the championship in 18. He finished fat fifth last year. He finished behind his teammate Leclerc. He finished behind Verstappen driving that Honda powered Red Bull, which I think probably surprised a lot of people. So even if Ferrari don't say it, I think internally that's how they're going to strategize it. I just don't know that as a professional courtesy, they're going to want to publicly proclaim that he's the number one, but I think their actions will speak louder than words. So even if they're not willing to say it, and maybe they withdraw a lot of the team orders that we saw in the first half of the season, I think he has to be because this is the driver that they've decided to invest in for the next five years. And they've made no such proclamation about Sebastian Vettel. I I think it's going to be a very similar situation with uh, Charles and Seb as it was with Max and Danny Ricardo at Red Bull. They may not come out and say it's like, uh, you know, like right out flat out in, in, in public. But I think for Seb, very much like Danny Rick, that the the signs are there that uh, yeah. that that was Max's team because when 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 Ricardo said he was going to to Red Bull, it's like oh my god, that's a real shock. But when you think, oh no, that makes perfect sense because you know he can see some of the writing on the wall, yeah. and then to get see some of that uh, behind the scenes footage in that F one Drive to Survive series that came out on Netflix about a year ago. It was kind of interesting to see some of these discussions and and see like uh, Christian Horner talking to like Ricardo and to Ricardo's parents and then just kind of see the stuff that, you know, we all kind of, you know, know goes on behind the scenes. But uh, it, it's fascinating. There's more than that. that goes oh, yeah. On, but we can't see. <laughs> I, I, I think that I think Ferrari wants like from my knowledge and, and from the people I've spoken with. Yeah, like Ferrari wants to have Seb back. Like there's no question about that. I think it all comes down to how much and what kind of uh, circumstances he's going to be put into. Uh, where are the team orders going to lay? Who's going to get number one treatment? Yeah. I think a lot of that is going to come down, and Sebastian's going to have to. He's going to have to make a decision. Either maybe retire. Yeah. Which he probably could. He's a four time four time world champion. He's got enough money to. Last him and his family, like, for who knows how long. And Generations. He really doesn't have... I mean, yes, for him, he he wants to win at Ferrari. He wants to win a championship. He wants to kind of emulate, you know, his hero, like Michael Schumacher and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, I mean, he really doesn't have much to prove. He's a four-time yeah. Formula One world champion. Yeah. Well, the one thing that really surprises me is just uh, going back to the start of 2018. We go into 2018... You have Lewis Hamilton, four-time world champion. You have Sebastian Vettel, yeah. four-time world champion. I was just like, okay, who's going to be the first of five? And now mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it seems like it's been like on hyperspace. Like yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, we're just like, oh my God, this could be the year that Lewis ties Michael Schumacher's record of uh, seven world championships. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, just sticking on the topic of uh, Sebastian Vettel, has the, the window of opportunity closed on Seb? Is is there an opportunity still for him to win a world championship, or I is, is it, you, I, you want to take that yeah, one? You're you a brave man. <laughs> I know. I was sitting there thinking about it. You know what? I, I I think I had a conversation with Mark earlier today. I think the, there's a, several factors for Sebastian to win a championship again. Like I said earlier, you know, there's a new team principal. There's new, you know, uh, the the car, the aerodynamics, where they change the wing in the beginning of the season. He's got a new relationship. Uh, with with Leclerc, how they're going to play off each other and supporting each other on the track. Ferrari needs to give him the car 
to be a champion. He's got the skills. He knows how to drive. He's been a champion before. Mm-hmm. If you don't give their driver the right tools, the the right coaching, the right uh, team environment, how can they? T- Mercedes has been consistent with Hamilton and and Bottas. It's been you, ridiculous yeah, how good they've been exactly. over the years. Yeah. So whether Bottas is you know hasn't won a championship yet, just a supporting role, just the way that Mercedes yeah. keeps that very tight knit for Hamilton to to thrive. Mm-hmm. If they're going to support. Uh, Vettel into be, uh, becoming another champion. They need to give them the tools if they're going to be investing the younger foe, Leclerc, and pushing him to be the the uh, the champion going forward. Then then they just got to just make that clear. Just like say, you know, Vettel, we're gonna we're gonna just make Leclerc the number one driver. You know, your your time is up. What do you want to do? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I kind of want to play off of Tim's thoughts on this one because neither of you, neither of us have ever been in that situation where there's a garage and there's a team that's supporting two drivers. And and I think I've I've heard in a lot of interviews, especially through Beyond or Beyond the Grid, uh, a lot of the drivers talk about the fact that there is a real difference in dynamic between being the number one driver and being the number two driver in terms of resources and pressures and and support from the team. But from your perspective, what does what does that actually mean to be a number one driver? So if Charles Leclerc is the number one driver, how does that impact Vettel? Like, how is his experience on that team different than it would be if he was Leclerc? I think one of the biggest things about being a number one driver is experience. Like, what's your experience level like? What is what is your winning percentage like as well, right? Because it always comes down to, um, okay, it's you can. It's there. There's 10 seconds left on the on the shot clock. It's the fourth quarter. Game is tied. Who are you going to give the ball to? Yeah. Kyle Lowry or Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, right. And it's kind of one of those situations where in racing, it's like, hey, we got a lot on the line here, and we need to win. Yeah, and we need to win right now because it's our it's our time and it's our chance. And we're just hanging on. So who are we going to give that opportunity to? We're going to give it to the person who's more experienced and who we know can develop uh, can deliver a lap when we need it or do we give it to someone who's still kind of learning and coming along you saw that with Charles Leclerc at the start of the 2019 season you saw him make his mistakes mm. you saw him learn right from those mistakes if you go all the way back to the Hungarian Grand Prix and at the end of that race he was nowhere near Sebastian Vettel in that race in terms of lap times and finishing position, he was so far off Vettel's pace it wasn't even funny. He had said that you know he was going to go away that's for the summer break and he was going to try and figure out what Sebastian was doing mm. during the races compared to what he was doing during the races. And it always comes back to tires, and everyone's going to get so sick and tired of me talking about tires, but that's where it starts, and it always starts with the tires. And whatever... Whatever Charles Leclerc was able to do during um, during that summer break, he came back a totally different race driver. And it's at that point where you saw Ferrari start to take a closer look at, hey, we really have a special kid here. It's only taken him X, Y, Z amount of races. And now he's on the same pace, if not faster, than Vettel with the exact same equipment we need to start investing in this kid, and we need to start doing it now. Yeah. Well, that's why it makes uh, Charles's uh, comments earlier this week uh, that more f- fascinating because he says he still believes that Seb is quicker in race trim. So that that that's an interesting <laughs> comment that, uh, that that he made. Mind but- games are just being polite, or even just yeah. playing the team game, right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, he's a smart 
He's a smart guy, right? Mm-hmm. And and, and uh, if if I'm Charles Leclerc, I want harmony within the Ferrari camp because we know what can happen outside of that camp when people start to find out that there isn't harmony inside yeah. it, right? Once yeah. you start getting news publications, starting to hear about, you know, there's there is uncertainty between Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc. Oh, there's infighting. And, you know, that that yeah. tends to really start to fracture a team. And you saw it with Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. Yeah, perfect definitely. Oh, yeah, they, they, yeah, that was toxic, was, uh, yeah. But, yeah. to say the least. But I thought that they, they handled the aftermath of the uh, the accident in Brazil very, very well. Yeah, yeah. That, you I know, agree. Yeah. So they do it behind closed doors. I yeah, talk with absolutely. Charles. You talk with Seb. Yeah. You know, you talk with them both in the same room. Totally. And then you just come out. Yeah. And the, all you say publicly is... We've we've dealt with it in house rather than you know throwing one of them under the bus yep. publicly, which yep. I think uh, you know really uh, could shatter you know somebody's uh, you know shatter those relationships really start Absol- the fire absolutely. And all credit <clears throat> has to be handed to the people behind the scenes like Matteo Bonotto. Like you have to give that guy some. I know, you know and you know what. I think he gets a lot of flack thrown at him the past season with some of the mistakes that were made with pit stop strategy, yeah. all the things happening behind closed doors. But then if you go back to Maurizio or Eva Bene, I mean, like, I think in terms of how the team is run, I think it's night and day, night and day difference. And if you're a Ferrari fan, I think you really have to be happy with what Matteo Bonotto has been able to do. And plus, try to keep these two guys happy. Well, I, I think for me, the big difference between Arriva Bene and uh, Bonato is that the, those those pit wall mistakes are still there, but they seem to be reacting and learning yes. from those things a lot quicker totally. than they were in the, the, the several years previous when uh, when, when Arriva Bene was the, uh, the number one guy there. So I want to dial back here and just go a little bit uh, back in the discussion here. We, we started off talking about uh, Mercedes and we talked about, uh, you know, uh, Bottas. And I just, I, I want to put this one out here because this is going to be one of the talking points because we've seen Charles sign a long-term deal to 2024. Max is under contract to 2023. So Sebastian, we know, is out of contract this year, as is Valtteri Bottas. So, and and this term has been thrown out there a little bit over the past uh, month or two. But does Bottas 2.0 have what it takes to beat Lewis Hamilton or is 2020 going to be Valtteri's last year at Mercedes? Who's taking that one? <laughs> you no, no you haven't question. said much. You're up first, Gil. <laughs> well, I, I, I firmly believe that Bottas doesn't have what it takes to... Being partnered with Hamilton, that's a big shadow to kind of overtake. So... The Mercedes team has been very good to both of them. They worked, uh, Bottas and Hamilton have a good working relationship together, I feel. You know, I just think, don't think Bottas has it in him or to, to compete and, and, and surpass Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton's on a different level. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's the Tiger Woods of Formula One. Mm-hmm. His, the, the way he's consistent in conserving tires, uh, his drivability, the way he's calculating on, on the track. His racecraft. Yeah, his mm-hmm. racecraft. Uh, I don't think, but I don't see that from Bottas. Like it doesn't jump out at me, and I don't think he's got what it takes to be uh, a number one driver for Mercedes or surpassing Hamilton. Yeah. That's just me saying that he's a good supporter. He's good for the team. They've got a great working relationship. Mm-hmm. But uh, Hamilton is on a different level. Uh, partnering those two together are good and bad. Like good for the team, bad for Bottas. It's it's great for the team because you have a driver next to Hamilton in that garage who's not 
have not competing in psychological warfare with we saw that with, we saw that with, with Rosberg and we saw that with, with yeah, Rosberg and Hamilton the, the yep. team couldn't contain the animosity yep. and the toxic relationship and it spilled out into public and fortunately they continue to win driver's titles and constructor's titles but ultimately it took one of the two of them to retire for them to allow that garage to simmer back down again but I think and you and I talked about this before I love Valtteri Bottas and I think he's a tremendously consistent driver but he's I, I I don't think he's going to be in a Mercedes driving seat if Hamilton's not there because if Hamilton left and he departed and he went to Ferrari and we'll talk about that potentially later but maybe he's there but he's always going to be your B driver because if I'm Mercedes I still have to take my product which is this championship winning racing team and I have to sell it to sponsors and I have to sell it to the broader Mercedes organization that we're going to invest this amount of money and we're going to build a team around this guy I don't see them building a team and marketing a sponsorship package around Valtteri Bottas and I love him but I try to think about this guy I don't know what his identity is. I don't know what his personality yes. is. He's mm-hmm. yeah. very level-headed. He's cool as a cucumber, all those cliches. Yeah. But psychologically, I don't think he's in a position to compete with Hamilton. Yeah. If he had to, I fear that Hamilton would destroy him. And I don't know his goals either. Like, I think his goal is, yes, to be a championship driver like any other Formula One racer. But it's not clear to me that that's what he's striving for. Um, like, It doesn't show on the track. I know he's trying. Not like Rosberg. It was clear. Nico Rosberg wanted to win a championship just like his father at all what, costs at all costs yep. once he won that he was out he didn't care afterwards after yep. that yep. so there was a real shock that he retired like what it was a week after so the, quick. oh I wasn't shocked at that I, I knew that was, like for me that's I saw that in him that's his goal not yep. that I know Rosberg personally but it just he wanted to be a world champion like like his father and once he got that he was like, he's, he's been battling with Lewis for so long trying to get that championship yep. however yep. many years did he lose out to Hamilton until yep. he uh, 14 and, until he came down to the wire and, until he, until he, yeah, until until that that season where he was a bit shady in the Monaco kind of, you know, qualifying era when yeah. he backed up all the cars from go, going off yeah. the runoff, and that's when it, you know, all the all the flack came down on him, and you know, I that's you know, I think Bottas uh, just needs to have a clear clear goal in mind, but. I agree with you. I don't think Mercedes is going to push him to be the number one driver, and regardless I, of Hamilton. I think leaves. Hamilton's happy having him as a teammate because he's not pushing. He's not pushing Hamilton psychologically. Yep. He's not battling yep. Hamilton in the media. Yep. He's not battling him with snippets in the press and yep. on podcasts and in yep. TV interviews. He's he's collective. He's a professional. He's he's cool. He's collected. He's a professional on the racetrack, and he doesn't push Hamilton any harder than Hamilton needs to be pushed to win a championship. I think. Uh, I think Bottas can can beat Lewis. Uh, here's why I say wow. that. Yeah, interesting. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, let's let's talk about the 2019 season when Valtteri was on, dialed in. He was faster than Lewis. Lewis couldn't catch him. Couldn't. Australia, for example, yeah. couldn't touch him. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't touch him. And Hamilton, Hamilton's time. commented on how worried he was after the first two yeah. or three races. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. should have been. What Valtteri's problem is is himself. Gets in his own way. And I think if Mercedes builds a car for the 2020 season, that Valtteri doesn't need to worry too much about how to drive it, Mm. that it actually fits his driving style. I think he takes it right to Lewis. And I don't think, I don't think he can lose in all honesty. I think if, if Valtteri is able to get out of his own way, if he's able to be consistent and not crash like he has, in 2019 and some of the mistakes uh, that he did make over the 2019 season uh, that really did end up costing him leverage in the driver's championship. 
I think he can take it to him. I honestly do believe that. Valtteri is quick. I think he's his own worst enemy at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, we all know that there are certain tracks where Valtteri is uh, very good. Yeah. Russia's one. Azerbaijan is yeah. another one. I mean, there's a number of tracks. It's just to being able to, to do it more consistently. Yeah, That's why... Sorry, go ahead. No, so, you know, Russia is an, is an interesting one that you say because when you... A lot of the drivers get to Russia, that's not a typical uh, street track. It's not even a typical racetrack. The, the the asphalt and the track surface just makes it so slippery and there's not a lot of grip. And drivers really struggle with the fact that a, if the track doesn't develop and, it, and, and, and rubber doesn't get embedded into the actual pavement and grip levels don't actually start to come up, you know, that really confuses a lot of racing drivers because you tend to start to change the car with how the track is starting to uh, come towards you. But for a driver to actually just go out and be able uh, to take what he has or she has and adapt that driving style to the way that the track surface actually is is a very hard thing to do. And it's actually really impressive. And it's one of the reasons why I think that Valtteri Bottas could possibly take it to Lewis this season. Well, if he comes out like he did in Australia yeah. last year, and he can reproduce that. Keep that, that consistency, yeah, right? He's got to keep that consistency. And I honestly think he can take it to him. Yeah. So what what do you think changed in Bottas this year? Because we had that that great run, for a great Mercedes run where there was one, two for five consecutive races. And there was all this talk about Valtteri Bottas 2.0, 2.0, 2.0. And the British press picked that up and you heard it everywhere. <laughs> and it dropped off. It dropped off so fast. But what changed at, at race six in Bottas? Was it, was it Shaved. mental? <laughs> <laughs> all about the razor. No, I think at the end of the day, it's all mental uh, for him. Yeah. I think one bad, and that's why I say he's got to get out of his own way, I think, because it's, it's one bad slip up. And it just kind of snowballs for him. And he's not the only racing driver that does that, where they have, you know, a bad race weekend and that kind of snowballs into another bad race weekend and then another one. And it takes him so much mental effort just to get out of it, to get back on pace again. It takes a lot of confidence. And the problem is, is that you can't keep putting yourself into those situations because yeah. that's what's going to bring you down if that's the type of racing driver you are, which it actually kind of looks like Valtteri Bottas is. Yeah. I, I don't have a lot of like experience uh, with uh, with professional racing drivers, but I, I do with a, a lot of elite-level soccer players with the, the Canadian national team, uh, Major League Soccer, mm-hmm. and, and, and guys like that. And it's interesting watching them in games, watching them like off the pitch, in the dressing room, or on the practice field. And it is really interesting when they get in the rhythm and you can tell a guy that just really, you know, he's found his mojo, just how, how easy things yeah. come. And then you can see it when, when a guy's struggling. It's just like there's there's no matter how hard they try, it's, it just isn't going for them. And then all of a sudden it just yeah. it just starts going no, no matter what it is. And it, it, it's fascinating. Yeah, I know. You know, it's a perfect point uh, <clears throat> that you make, you know, marrying it with another sport. And it's one of the things that I like to try and do. Um, is trying to explain to people who don't really, who do watch Formula One but don't really understand it. At the same point, is that let's say you know you're an NBA player and you're in a massive shooting slump, and you're like, whoa, this guy was just like, you know, Danny Green was lighting it up in the regular season, and then once he gets into the playoffs, it's like, hold on a second, where did Danny Green <laughs> yeah. go? What's going on yeah. here? Right? It's kind of the exact same thing as a racing driver. It's confidence in it, and and in sports. It's all the same that way. It's all such a psychological game for all of these athletes. You know, they're at the they're at the pinnacle, and at the end of the day, 
It's it's yeah. all psychological that, that that makes or breaks you, and at the yeah. end of the day, right? And sometimes it's like walking that that really fine yeah. line. Yeah. You know, you're either you either you have it or yeah. you don't. Okay, I, I want to talk now a little about uh, Lewis Hamilton, and well, we haven't uh, you know we, we haven't held anything back so far, <laughs> so, so yeah. we're, we're going to keep up with like a, the, you know, the the hard questions. So we we know Lewis is out of contract at Mercedes after the end of this year. So does Lewis put contract hold or talks on hold until later into the year until he knows how the world championship is going? And if it looks like he wins world championship number seven with Mercedes, do we possibly see him move to Ferrari to win world championship number eight? I mean, to tie Michael Schumacher and then beat the guy who set all those records at Ferrari and then beat his records in a Ferrari? Yeah. So Isn't that kind of stuff dreams are made of? Talking to him a, a couple months ago, uh, I got the sense that, you know, he really wanted to get a contract sorted out with Mercedes. I was in a I was in an interview with him and he had talked a lot about wanting to be when his F1 career was over, really wanting to be a part of the Daimler group and being a big part of helping Mercedes uh try and grow the brand even more than what it is and just kind of being that brand ambassador for them when he leaves F1. And he did speak openly uh, to me about it. And uh, I, I had brought that same question up to Total Wolf and even Toto was like, you know, obviously we want to keep Lewis around, but we want to keep him around yeah. once he retires. We want him in the Daimler group. We want him a part of what we're trying to do here. So to hear all of that and then learning learning about him taking a meeting with with you know execs over at at uh, FCA and and learning about you know maybe Ferrari having some interest in him coming on there is no way he's going to Ferrari there is absolutely no chance Lewis Hamilton goes to Ferrari let's think about it you got Charles Leclerc who's their bread and butter right now at Ferrari if you're Lewis Hamilton and you leave Mercedes and you go over to Ferrari you want to talk about a war between two drivers? Because I'll tell you what, you're going to get one, right? And if you're Ferrari, I don't think you want that. No, right? well, you Max even came out and said that was one of the reasons why yeah. he wouldn't want to go to Ferrari. Absolutely, they yeah. already got. They've got their guys. They've got. They've got Charles Leclerc. They've got Sebastian Vettel. They want to try and keep Sebastian Vettel. I think Lewis stays at Mercedes. I think he's going to get a big contract, and I think for him, he wants to get this done. He wants to get this done this season. I think he I think he wants to get it done before the season even begins, if not first six races in, just try and get something hammered out. So psychologically for him, that's a weight off his shoulders and he knows where he's going to be with his future. Uh, I think that's a huge part for Lewis. And then there's always incentives that he can try and build into yeah. a contract mm -hmm. as well. Like, hey, let's say... I do win, you know, my seventh uh, Formula One World Championship, and I tie Michael Schumacher. That's an extra thirty million for this year, or something like that. There yeah. is no reason to say that that can't be built into these Formula One contracts. Yeah. Mm, interesting, because I, I, I don't know if I, I don't. Uh, for me, I don't see him wanting to pull that trigger early. Let him wait it out and say, "Oh, this is what I'm doing for the season," and then that just puts a bit more solidarity into the contract later into the year. Like, hey, I'm this close to winning the, this year's, this season's championship. When the papers and the contracts are down, this is where it's like, okay, you, you know, this is solid. This yeah. is solid. Not like, okay, pull the trigger early and then, you know, he fluffs around throughout the season and then when the, you know, the the the, the team goes, oh, well, you know, we signed you and then it's kind of like, Waffling, really? That, again, I, yeah, I have no experience in in what the the drivers' mm -hmm. minders or Lewis Hamilton's mind is. But 
for me, I probably would like see how whether the team it works both ways whether the driver wants to see how he's performing through the season or how the team sees the driver performing because mm-hmm. it's all comes down to money at Re- the end of the day really talking to him though it, it just does seem that this is something he wants to get he wants to get done and over with so he can focus on like racing you have to take into consideration that these guys are hired guns right and let's yeah. say that this hired gun doesn't have a very good season yeah. and you're in a contract year yeah now all of a sudden your stock level just went from being superstar to crap. Yeah. Yeah. And it can happen to yeah. you in Formula One in an instant. If you're an F1 driver, you always want to try and get the best deal possible as soon as possible because you yeah. have no idea what's going to happen next. And so yeah. for a guy like Lewis at the top of his game, obviously he's going to want to pump Mercedes and, and Daimler for whatever they're worth. He wants something that's going to be bigger than what he's going to get. And I think he'd be satisfied with that. In all honesty, I really feel uh, that getting something just above what he has right now that that that'll satisfy him. I mean, let's let's talk about it. he's one of the highest paid athletes yeah. in the world yeah. right now. Yeah, he's also, and I I think I, I don't know that there'd be much of disagreement to this, but I think he's also the best businessman Absolutely. in the sport. Yeah, he's very <laughs> yep. smart on the business oh, side 100%. for sure. Yeah, totally. he he knows, and and I I don't know that there's again much disagreement to this, but he's really the only transcendent star that the sport has, and that's another conversation about the risk to the sport when he eventually departs. But I think he knows his value. Mm-hmm. I think having a conversation with Ferrari doesn't hurt anything. It just increases his leverage when he negotiates with Mercedes. But I think at his age, uh, I would be looking for security and. And I think he'll probably be the highest paid Formula One driver ever. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've seen with Max signing that three-year deal and with Charles inking that four-year deal is he's now got a baseline that he can take to Mercedes. Because I don't know that they would have been comfortable signing more than a two or three-year deal. But I think any, I think honestly, the checkbook should be and will probably be open to him at this stage in his career. And if I'm him, I need to get this done now because if the 2020 season starts and Valtteri Bottas begins to run away with the title and he's putting significant ground between the two of us, you know, that's probably not going to help my negotiating capabilities. I want to sign that deal now and I want as long term as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's why I found uh, Christian Horner's comments about a month or six weeks ago very fascinating. He he thought that by the time the contract situation got sorted out for 2021 that it was going to be status quo. And I thought, okay, well, it's just going to depend on who pulls the trigger first. We had Charles and we had Max. And then I'm like, okay, well, it seems like it's going to be that way. But just going back to Lewis, as tantalizing and as fascinating as I find that whole seventh world championship and then the move to the Ferrari, I just have a real problem reconciling that and and seeing Lewis move from Mercedes and going to 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 Ferrari yeah. to to do yeah. that. It just seems to me. I mean, he's all. I mean, those ties with Mercedes go a long way yeah. back with Lewis Hamilton, and, and I just have go a, back to go karting exactly. Yep. <laughs> and yep. and and I I really just can't foresee a, a situation to to break off that relationship, even just for a couple of years. You know, to yeah. at at the end of the career there, I just I, I just a, can't see it happen. You made a great point because. There's immediate upfront value in Lewis re-upping with Mercedes, and the value is the contract and the immediate sponsorship opportunities. But more than that, and you made a great point, is that there's a lifelong ambassadorship role 100%. that that tie-in that he would have for them with the rest of his career. So whether he's in racing or not, whether he's competing, whether he's in the press, whether he's producing music, whatever he wants to do, there'll be a linkage and a tie-up between him and Mercedes forever. And that could be valuable in itself, even if he's mm-hmm. not in a race car. Mm-hmm. But if he severs that relationship and he goes to Ferrari, that opportunity is 
done. It's over. Let, let's say, you know, let's talk about uh, Lewis and Mercedes being like, you know, Schumacher and Ferrari, right? We mm-hmm. always have known Formula One and Ferrari, those two being associated with each other forever. We've always known that, right? What if we were now to start to associate, because the younger generation is, that Mercedes and Formula One, that sounds more like they're starting to amalgamate and come together when, in fact, it used to be Ferrari and Formula One, where now it's starting to kind of feel more like it's starting to be like, hey, you know, Mercedes has been in F1 for blah, 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 the Silver Arrows, let's go all the way back to whenever, right? They're starting to bring all these things back. Lewis is amazing. He's won this. Mercedes has smashed every Mm -hmm. single record that we know of. Lewis is on his way to pretty much being number one in every single driver's category, yeah, yeah. right? And then tying Schumacher for seven. Like, so it just kind of all sort of makes sense. And you have to think that there is no chance that Daimler's not going to keep pouring money into this program yeah. to make these headlines. They make billions of dollars off of this stuff every year. You know, they, they're pumping money into it, yes, but yeah. they're making a ton out of it. Like, they just, like, it's, well, you know, the it makes old total saying, sense. Win on Sunday, sell well, on Monday. 100%. Right? Yeah. It yeah. works like that every, like, it's like clockwork at Mercedes that way, right? So it's, yeah. that's why it just doesn't even, it doesn't make sense for him to leave Mercedes and go to Ferrari. That just doesn't work yeah like yeah on on so many different levels it just yeah. does not work money probably is not going to get the type of money that he's going to get at mercedes he's going to pay back up to Charles Leclerc because he's now superstar boy and so it's kind of like it, it only makes sense that's why I, that's why i think this deal gets done sooner than later i think like you had said you know it started with Charles Leclerc with the contract and now the dominoes are just going to start to yeah. fall yeah, yeah. I, I very much agree yeah. that the, 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 the fascinating ones are what happens to Bottas? What happens to uh, Sebastian those, Vettel? Those are the ones that yeah. are going to yeah. be... And if yeah. they move on from Mercedes or Ferrari, who comes in and takes yeah. those, uh, the, the, those, uh, the, those seats? That no. is the, the very fascinating That's exactly question. what I was going to say. Yeah. Those, are the, those are the conversations that I get excited about because yeah. it's like you got George Russell, Mercedes Academy driver. He's right down pit lane. If he has a good season at Williams... Why don't you just bring Georgie? You've been paying for George's George, time at Williams. Him? Bring him over here and, you know, <laughs> put him there. And then Bottas, well, you're on your own. To put Somewhere him- Pascal Bearline saying, well, remember me? <laughs> yeah. I'm here too. <laughs> well, he's simulator driver now, yeah. Ferrari, right? Yeah. He, he re-upped yeah. with them. So he's back in their to sim. put it into context, Ferrari's last driver title was before the global economic crisis. It was three years before the Vancouver Olympics. It's been... An eternity. Yeah, time. Well, yes. you, you know, so in Maranello, every time Mercedes yeah. win a race or a yeah. championship, you know, they're pulling their hair <laughs> yeah, out. Sure. And, and that's what just makes uh, Mercedes dominance over the past five or six years that much more yeah. incredible. I mean, it's like clockwork. And the thing that, that really impresses upon me is every time they win yeah. a race is those people there at the track they still look just as happy as the first race that they won. You know, yeah. they, they they genuinely look like a group of people that love what they're doing. They love going racing and they're excited every time they win a race because every time they're up there on the podium, it's always somebody different beside yeah. Lewis or, or Valtteri or, or Nico Rosberg mm-hmm. going back a couple of years. Absolutely. And it looks like the, they're always having uh, a lot of fun out there. Tim, you made a point that I, I'd never processed before, which is, Mercedes has done this great job in the turbo hybrid era of cultivating a fan base that oh. knows 
only Mercedes Massive. as a winner. If you're 20, you only you, know Mercedes you, as a as a winner. Yeah, you don't you know don't, anything else. You don't know Ferrari. No, you don't know the yeah. the history. They don't you know don't, the legacy. You don't remember yeah. Kimi Raikkonen winning in 2007. Yeah. You don't. You've probably heard of Schumacher, yeah. but mm-hmm. that's like a 20 year old kid today hearing yeah. about Michael Jordan. Like, okay, I get it. The Bulls and Jordan <laughs> were great. Yeah, now look at the Bulls and Jordan. I know the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry, or even Hamilton winning for McLaren. And where's McLaren? Like, oh, McLaren this past season's stepped it up but you know yeah. before before uh, Hamilton's jump from McLaren to Mercedes yep. they would have never known that McLaren because totally. if they're jumping into uh, Formula 1 now McLaren is just getting their footing back again totally. and then yeah. you know it's Absolutely. really impressive so tomorrow like I think you made a you made a an interesting point there um, but I, I just think yeah I just think that Mercedes is yeah, it's just they're a they're a brand, they're a product. They represent a, they're they're the perfect blend as well. They represent a German manufacturer, a global powerhouse that that withstood the global economic crisis like no other manufacturers did. They are, and for all intents and purposes, they're a British-based team, and they have the most transcendent star in the sport. Mm-hmm. No other driver is like him, and you don't see these type of personalities come across very often. And I think one of the things that Formula One sometimes struggles with is cultivating a fan base mm-hmm. and creating broad appeal. And that's something that Chase Carey and Liberty are going to have to wrestle with and work through because Bernie was doing the exact opposite of broadening (laughs) appeal, which I think most people would agree with. But Lewis, you have this opportunity with this driver, and I don't think Bernie did enough, and I think Liberty will do more. But as long as he's in the sport, you want him associated with your principal brand, and you want to do everything you can to to expose him and leverage him as an as an advertising and marketing vehicle. Yeah, well, well, it really is interesting. You you, you bring up uh, Bernie Ecclestone there because I remember reading a Bernie cro- uh, quote a couple of years ago. He said something <laughs> to the effect here, and I, I'm going to parse a little bit, and he said, I'm not interested in the 20-year-old. He said, I'm interested in the 70-year-old that already has a ton of money. Yeah. Rolex watch. Yeah. It's yeah. the Rolex yeah. quote, and you saw... <laughs> You saw that on the tracks. Like it would drive yeah. me crazy as yeah. a spectator. Like yeah. I, I get it, but that's not the demo that you want to be yeah. watching your sport. That's yeah. not yeah. the future of yeah. your sport. Times change. Like he's yep. he's old school, and you know, Formula One a few decades ago is not how Formula One and the and the and the market and the fans are today. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. You yeah. know, look at how how NASA and SpaceX has come back. Like, you know, the whole space thing was totally like dull and done, but, you know, um, Elon Musk and SpaceX, Mm -hmm. you know, totally revived the whole like NASA and rockets and space and stuff. And I mean, what Bernie did with Formula One over 40 years was absolutely oh, so remarkable. Yeah, no, I mean, to, to bring it to the pinnacle. But it's a different it time. It's a different time. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But Lewis, Lewis, so I, and I hate to use this analogy, but our son has a 21 year old godmother. So I kind of have insight into that younger demo <laughs> mindset by talking to her. And I see the way that she dresses and I see the way that she talks and I see the music that she listens to and the way that she interacts with her friends. And that's all, all Lewis. Like, Lewis speaks that language. Vettel yeah. doesn't. Um, Ricardo doesn't necessarily do it. Some of the younger drivers do, like Albon and Leclerc and Gasly. Yeah. They definitely fit that younger demo, but their appeal isn't broad enough to break out of the sport. Lewis definitely Lewis gets can. it. And, and and the interesting thing about uh, Lewis is that, like you said, he sort of, he transcends the sport a little bit. Because I know a lot of people that know nothing about Formula One, but they know Lewis Hamilton. And then I'll ask him, okay, well, who is Lewis Hamilton? Yeah, he's he's a racing driver or yep. something. I mean, yep. it's almost like he's almost, they know him because he's famous, and but they don't know what he's done. Yeah, a big part yeah. of it too is the times now with social media, with, with technology, 
Eccleston didn't have to deal with that a few decades back, right? There was no social media back sure. then. There was no Instagram. Yep. You know, everything is now accessible to younger viewers. This generation, they're seeing it on YouTube. They're seeing it uh, on TV, online. Everything's accessible. But like, that now is only because of Liberty. Mm. So if you look yes. at Bernie, Bernie That's did why. everything yep. he could to clamp down on it. Yep. Because yeah. if they're not paying for it, they being the audience, they're not getting it. And it was only when Liberty kind of lifted up that iron curtain and allowed the spectators mm-hmm. to have some backstage access that we began to see that. But you're right. It was a different era. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we've sat here for 45 minutes now talking about Ferrari and Mercedes. <laughs> there are eight other teams in, in Formula are, One. Really? <laughs> and we've touched on a, a couple of them uh, a little bit, but... The, the the other team that's missing from this conversation so far is Red Bull and uh, Max Verstappen, obviously the big star there. And uh, well, this is another one I'm going to ask you guys to look into the crystal ball here. And how soon or is it going to happen when we see the combination of Red Bull, Honda and Max Verstappen win a, a world championship? What about Alex Albon? I like Alex oh, Albon. I, I what he did in nine races, I think, yeah. was let, fantastic. Let me tell you something about Alex Albon. I'm listening. That kid is quick, like very quick. Yeah. He is, he's the real deal. I think if the car works out the way that he thinks it's going to work out to be this season, I think Max is going to have his hands full. In all honesty, Alex is, he's a tremendous driver and... I I honestly believe that people are definitely sleeping on him. It's interesting because uh, I think that uh, Pierre Gasly maybe gets a little bit of like, I mean, criticism is warranted, but I think a lot of it has been harsh. I think he's a good driver, but I think that he was maybe a bit of a square peg in a round hole, or maybe the timing just wasn't right for him to go from Toro Rosso to to Red Bull. And it just, it just like, he never really got into his groove there. The the car wasn't like just designed for him, right? We have to remember that the Red Bull's making these cars designed for Max in his driving style and the way he drives, right? They're not designing these cars for Daniel Ricciardo. They're not designing these cars for Pierre Gasly and the way Gasly drives. It's kind of like, okay, second driver, here you go. This is what you got. Figure it out. You're on your own. And if you crash, see you later because your ass is out the door. With (laughs) Red Bull, I think bringing Gasly up the way that they did, I thought that they did a great job. I thought they gave him a good opportunity. I don't think Gasly was able to figure out the car fast enough. I think that crash in testing set him back huge. And I think it set set his confidence back as well. And I think it set him back so far that it took going back to Toro Rosso, being in a car that actually was more developed for him than it was for Tani Kvyat, uh, to to really get that confidence back and to learn the tire and to just understand what those operating windows are because, yeah, uh, being at Red Bull, he just couldn't figure it out. He just couldn't figure out the tire, couldn't figure it out, couldn't get the confidence, and then it's just it's like we were just saying at the beginning of the show. It's like a downward spiral from there, right? As an athlete, so I think for Pierre Gasly, uh, I think if he has another great year at Toro Rosso, there is. You know, and Alex Albon doesn't have a great year. Hey, why not just swap him back? Totally. Or even yep. Danny Kvyat. Yep. I think yep. Red Bull's got a good situation with their drivers. Uh, but again, you know, it's just all going to come down to if Albon can figure out uh, that Red Bull car. Because we know Max Verstappen's going to be able to drive it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for right? sure. Let's yeah, be honest sure. here. Well, we know that that car's being built for him. Getting yeah. back to your original question, I see Verstappen winning the championship with Red Bull. Not soon, but in the next maybe three, four, five years, 
I see Max Verstappen as a young Sebastian Vettel. He still needs to mature. Once he gets that maturity, then he's going to win championships just like Vettel did when he was with Red Bull. And he's yeah. matured so much already. Oh, he yeah. had that benchmark moment in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. had a rough start to the yeah. season. Yeah. He had that shunt in, uh, yeah. what was it, FP3 at Monaco. Yeah, once yeah. he got to Canada, yeah. he turned it around. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Totally. He's exactly. been unbelievable ever since yeah. that yeah. race, ever since the Canadian Grand Prix 2018. He's yeah. been yeah. lights out. And, and we there's were, no yeah. question yeah. why we, he shouldn't be. He's an amazing talent. Absolutely. Yeah. We were Incredible. talking earlier today as well just about what he's achieved as a 22-year-old. Oh, unbelievable. It's, it's oh. unreal because... We feel like we feel like he's twenty six or twenty seven or twenty eight because he's been in the sport forever. Yeah, so much, yeah. but he's yeah. put in four full yeah. seasons and he's twenty two. Yeah, like he's accomplished more by twenty two than Lewis had, than Sebastian Vettel had, than Schumacher, Schumacher had, yeah. and he's still only twenty two. This is when a lot of young drivers are still making that transition from F three to F or Formula F four F three to F two. Yeah, well, he, he did go F three to straight yeah. into F one, and yeah. he was absolutely spectacular. Yeah. He had yeah. no yeah. fear, like some of the passes. Yeah. He had a couple in Spa that I was just like, yeah, no oh, my fear. God, yeah. I had to turn away from the TV and stop looking. But <laughs> Well, uh, we had to Brazil a couple of years ago yeah. in the rain. I mean, the, the, where oh, he was finding oh. grip in the, in, in the yeah. wet was amazing. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think just to just to repeat what you've said, like I think for Max, he's his own worst enemy. Like When he matures more or when he composes himself on the track, mm-hmm. I think that's when he's going to start blowing away everybody but he sometimes he's a loose cannon some he'll he'll be like yammering on the on the on the, <laughs> on the head on the radio <laughs> and yeah. you know it's and then some of it is his fault but yet he's flacking on that, somebody I, else you know what that that's one of the things that i love about max verstappen is that he does have he has this i don't give a bleep attitude <laughs> yeah. and i don't care what you think of me yeah. and, and that, i don't care what you think of what I do on the racetrack yeah. because I'm going to do it. And that's and what I, I associate it. with love it. Sebastian Vettel in his a, early days. A young Vettel. That, a long, yeah. Young Vettel. Yeah. Every time I hear Max Verstappen go off like that, that reminds me of Vettel like, you know, 10 years ago. But Vettel, like, but Vettel never went to those like, I was in a media conference with, who was on the stage? It was Lance Stroll, there was Max Verstappen, and there was Valtteri Bottas. I think that's who it was. And... A reporter had asked Verstappen, you know, why do you crash so much? And his response was, you know what? I think I've had enough with these questions. And the next person to ask me again why I crash so much is I'm going to headbutt them. (laughs) I'm like, that that is awesome. I mean, who else is going to say that, right? Like, I've never heard Sebastian Vettel say something like that. It's just kind of like, I I hate to, 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 to put those two together you know what I mean? Even when Vettel Vettel was young, Vettel would never say something like that, no, right? That's, that's true. why I love Verstappen. <laughs> I love his attitude. It's a breath of fresh air into Formula One, just like Daniel Ricciardo is, just like yeah. Lewis Hamilton is his own yeah. personality. And yeah. I love that Red Bull kind of just lets Max go and be Max. Maybe well, maybe it's because... So Verstappen had a very different youth than a lot of these other drivers yeah. like we we've heard so much about lewis hamilton he grew up in a middle-class family in stevenage you know it wasn't all he, he had to earn every step of his journey he had to earn it by winning and winning and winning and building those relationships with corporate partners max's development was different because his father was a formula one driver mm-hmm. so maybe for him for a lot of these drivers like they recognize that it's an immense privilege to be here mm-hmm. because i'm trailblazing for my family my friends my country yeah. for max is like i've been here all my life yeah like he feels entitled he, yeah he's one of those and, millennials and that's, that's like but he I'm backs it up <laughs> i'm entitled 100 yeah. because he wins on the track uh, but yeah. just to kind of wrap up that alex albon piece i i think the entire story and the narrative around alex albon is incredible and i urge people 
people, if you haven't listened to his interview on Beyond the Grid, his story uh, coming incredible. out of F2 being Absolutely resigned and the fact that, and, and you know what, he talks about how people were reaching out to him at the end of that F2 season, congratulating him on the fact that he got a ride in Formula E. He almost didn't even finish the F2 yeah. season. <laughs> and he's, he's psychologically, like, I'm psychologically re- resigned to going to Formula E because no one makes that transition from Formula E to Formula One. If you're in Formula E, that's that's it. That's yeah. where the Sorokins go. Yeah. That's where the f- end of yeah. season or end of career <laughs> oh, Felipe Massa yeah, yeah. yeah. on the yeah. podcast. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but... But his story is amazing. And then he gets that call up and he has a great start at the season with Toro Rosso. And then he makes the transition to a surprise transition to Red Bull. And then he just posts four, five, six, four, five, six, these unbelievable finishes for the entire back half of the season. And he does it seemingly without breaking a sweat. Like, I cannot wait to see what he does this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait mm-hmm. to see. Well, there's a lot of interesting things going on at Red Bull. You've got uh, the resurgence of Honda. You've got Max Verstappen and Alex Albon. You have uh, a design team headed by Adrian New. There are a lot of really important people in the in the right places there. And Max even said uh, just in the last week or so that he wants to win a championship there. And I think it's really fascinating the way that his career has gone because a couple of years ago when he was just breaking in, there was some possibility, I think it was he could have been a reserve driver at Mercedes or something like that. But I think the way that they've kind of managed and steered his career so far I think they've really put him into a, a really good spot at, uh, at at a very very young age because yeah. my my takeaway from this the discussion over the past five or ten minutes is and this is what has been a, a you know uh, my 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 theory my my ruling whatever you want to call it uh, about Max is that incredibly young driver and a lot of the mistakes that we've seen him do or have and a lot of things that have happened is because we've basically watched this guy grow up so true. In, in front of our eyes, yeah, literally in, in real time. And that's why going back to 2018 and that, that Monaco Grand Prix, what he's done since is, is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. But I, I think that it's going to be really fun to watch and see where they go this year with Honda because last year was that, that, that sort of benchmark season. They go from Renault, they go to Honda, and the goal last year was for, for Honda to basically put them in the same position yeah. where they were under Renault and, and deliver similar results, which which they more or less uh, accomplished. And I think the latter half of the season with, with uh, Almon and, and Verstappen is probably what it should have been like the entire year if, if Gasly was able to, to figure it out over those opening yeah. 10, 12 races or whatever it was. And I, I think that if Gasly had figured it out, I have a feeling that they would have been... I think they would have given Ferrari a real run for their money in the constructors. And I, I think that if it had worked out differently, they could have uh, yeah. been runners up. But, yeah, I agree. Yeah, very, very, very fascinating. And uh, it's it's going to be kind of fun to watch, especially when you hear like some of the, the, the senior guys at Honda say that they see a lot of similarities between Max Verstappen and a young Ayrton Senna. I mean, Senna is still that guy that's still apart a and on a pedestal apart from, from everyone else. I mean, we all know what Schumacher did in his mm-hmm. career. And, and of course, We'll never know truly what Senna could have accomplished mm-hmm. because tragically his life mm-hmm. was uh, was cut short. But uh, it's it's going to be a fun year to watch Red Bull and, and Verstappen and Albon for the, sure. The Honda relationship, I think, is going to be fascinating yes. as well. I really Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to this, and I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what Honda brings to the track in in February for preseason testing because hearing from the team lately it sounds as though you know things are going in the right direction 
the engines are also going in the right direction uh, as well. I think you know one of the big problems that you know Red Bull had previously was how the uh, how the you know with Renault and everything and how that engine was packaged and gave that to them and they had to redesign a lot of the car just to get proper airflow coming over the car because the engines were too big and they didn't give them the proper uh, dimensions for the actual engine to fit in the housing that they had already built. So for Red Bull having a relationship that is this strong with Honda where they actually have a legit engine manufacturer to work with not to say that Renault is not a legit engine manufacturer I think Renault is awesome and they obviously have a number of titles and they're amazing but Honda itself to just to have a, an engine manufacturer to work one-on-one with yep. and to be able to build your car together uh, with an engine manufacturer is an extremely extremely important thing because one of the things I think that people lose sight of is that you know these teams that are customer teams yep who you know lease their engines from you know Haas gets theirs from Ferrari and Williams gets theirs from Mercedes you have to remember that these engines those engines are being built for a Mercedes they're not being built for a Williams yeah. right so the size and dyna- the size and the dimensions are specifically geared towards what their cars are going to be like they're not specifically geared towards what a williams is going to be like so williams has to kind of you know they have to come in and massage and they have to make adjustments to the car and inches here and inches there and they start losing certain things like downforce or airflow so having an engine manufacturer to work one-on-one with is is huge and i think that is what's going to put red bull above everyone this year it's a flashback to 2010 2011, 2012, 2013, when Red Bull ran off those four titles with uh, Sebastian Vettel because Renault was producing their engines, but Renault, for all intents and purposes, didn't have a team of their own. That was a a tightly integrated partnership. And only when Renault re-entered the sport did Mm -hmm. that that relationship begin to fray Mm -hmm. a little bit. And they've managed to reconstruct that exact same dynamic now with Honda. And I also think, and I don't want to underestimate the importance but i think it's really important for formula one that they have these really significant manufacturers producing engines yep, yep, like because yeah. i don't know how committed renault is to the sport ferrari is going to be there because financially they're motivated to be there mercedes i think is going to be there but you can't have a three engine sport you need to yep. have those four yep. teams yeah. so it's to the benefit of the sport if honda can produce a competitive power unit and that's exactly what yep. we saw last year which is why i'm not a huge max verstappen fan but i was ecstatic when he was winning races because it meant that honda had achieved something of significance yeah, with yeah there's, team. there's more dynamics in the in the sport into the mm-hmm. race like you know everyone's working with their own tools they're not working with somebody else's tools and somebody else's engine so that's what brings the dynamicy into the sport and that's what i get excited about is hey can they beat so-and-so team with what they've got not with what the same team that they're racing against has got right so a bit of an interesting sidebar here a couple of months ago i was going through my facebook and one of these uh, memories came up so i'm like okay i want to see what i was doing on this day like x number (laughs) of years ago and it comes up from November, October 2013. It says, just finishing watching Sebastian Vettel win his, or win his third world title. I'm like, oh my God, I do not remember watching that race. I do not remember that happening. And then what really freaked me out about it was, I don't remember him winning title number four. <laughs> All right, with that, I'm going to call it on the first half of our Canadian Formula One podcast mini series or summit if you will 
We'll be back next week with the second half of the conversation. As always, we want to hear your feedback. Please subscribe to the podcast. If you're on iTunes, leave us a review. Give us five stars. It means the world to us. And as always, if you have feedback, whether it's good or whether it's bad, we want to hear it because we want to continue to improve and make this podcast better. And if you have any recommendations about people that we could possibly link up with in the future for interviews or conversations, again, we want to hear that as well. So we'll be back next week with the second half. Hope you enjoyed the first half. We'll speak to you soon. This is Mark out. Peace. for joining us you have been a great audience this is Sarah signing off at Flash F1 with Gil and Mark